Hey everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Back to that big eternal question, how do you plan for maternity leave as an entrepreneur? And for everyone, how do you plan for parental leave? My guest today is such a perfect fit for this show. She is a maternal health researcher who has lived in multiple countries, and she is passionate about how important and fundamental it is for parental leave to exist for everyone. And small business owners and entrepreneurs, especially in the United States, often get screwed because they get no coverage or protection at all. Ariana Taboada is a maternal health expert. She's an author, and she's the owner of a consulting firm that helps female founders intelligently design maternity leave plans so that they meet both their business model and their personal needs. Before she got into her consulting practice, Ariana worked on maternal health issues for over a decade as a health educator, a social worker in a mental health clinic, a reproductive health researcher, and a yoga therapist. She speaks and writes about the topic of maternity leave as a social justice issue and an economic equity issue. Her scientific work in reproductive health more broadly has been published in peer-reviewed journals such as the International Journal of Health Equity, Advances in Social Work, Prevention Science, and so many more. She has spoken and delivered more than 50 different presentations and lectures across Canada, the U.S., Mexico, and Guatemala. She currently resides in Berkeley, California. Today, it is such an honor to have her as a guest on the show. She is going to tell us all about how she designs a system to help entrepreneurs get the professional, physical, mental, social, and emotional needs met as they baby-proof their business and navigate new motherhood and dig into why it's so hard and what we can do about it. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Acuity Scheduling. If you haven't switched to a scheduler yet to help you with all the back and forth of figuring out appointments, I highly recommend trying it. Switching to a calendar scheduler changed my life and saved me so much time. So Typically, Acuity offers a free two-week trial if you want to give it a whirl, but for startup pregnant listeners, they have a 45-day trial for us. Go to acuityscheduling.com slash startup pregnant and you'll get a 45-day trial. Ariana, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm glad to be here. I am so glad you're here. And for people listening, we recorded an entire show before and the file got corrupted. So she is a saint and has come back to re-record. So my deepest thanks for you being here. No problem. I just, I think of it as a fun way to just continue our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I also really enjoy getting on the phone with you. So pleasure is all mine. So you are a maternal health researcher and you have so much expertise in helping entrepreneurs specifically figure out maternity leave and the transition to new motherhood. This is like the biggest topic for my audience, my listeners, because so many of them are trying to find out how do I take maternity leave as an entrepreneur or as a founder or as even just a teammate and a colleague for someone else. 
So let's start with diving into this puzzle. The first thing I want to ask you about, I think this is something you're really good at talking to, is that moment when you find out you're pregnant. What do you recommend for people in terms of building their support structures, both business and personal, for when they find out they're pregnant and their life is going to change in the future? It is like that moment of lots of excitement, usually followed by a little bit of panicking, (laughs) especially for... For women who run their own businesses. Yep. And so that, first of all, that's normal. And also to acknowledge that we are in a situation if you are a consultant or run a small business or are a freelancer in any way self-employed, that we are in a situation where there isn't a whole lot of best practices or models or structures laid out for us. So totally normal to be like, what am I supposed to do? And the silver lining is that you can figure out a way to make it work for your business model and your personal needs. And so assessing those needs is typically the the starting place. And I always like to also say that the two are intertwined. So in thinking about your personal needs, you are one of the biggest assets to your business. So when taking care of your personal needs actually is a business investment for long-term sustainability of your work. So do you want to get into the nitty gritty of some ways you can assess those yes. needs? And I love what you just said about how there's not a good roadmap in front of you. So if you're kind of panicking or majorly panicking, or you feel like, well, how am I going to figure this out? First, that's totally normal because we haven't necessarily pioneered a good way of doing this in the first place. So thank you for that. But yes, so what do you recommend? Yeah, so the first thing is to really look at your core business activities. I mean, I see all the time in like Facebook groups or online or blog posts that people just you know, throw out the, well, what did you do for maternity leave? And it can be helpful if someone's business model is similar to yours and you can implement some of the things that worked well for them. But if you don't know what your particular business model needs and what core activities need to be taken care of, either automated or delegated or outsourced completely, or they can be batched, then Borrowing someone else's maternity leave prep plan can be a not so good road to go down. So assessing those core functions on the business side, and then really figuring out how much time does it take to either automate something that I've been manually doing or train someone else to do it, and literally mapping out reverse engineering and mapping out that timeline on your calendar, because you do have a deadline, you have like a hard stop point. So some of that detailed reverse engineering and planning, starting with a just time tracking of all the ways you are spending your time, and of those activities, what are the options for taking them off your plate for x number of weeks or months that you will be out is the top starting point that I recommend for the business side. Yeah, those core activities. It sounds obvious when you say it out loud. It's like, oh, yeah, figure out what my core activities are. And then also, I know that I've been in many times inside of different business activities, where I get really lost and confused. Do you have tips or strategies for how to figure out what that is? Or do you have a process that you recommend people go through? I'm trying to brainstorm myself how I would figure this out. But 
I want yeah, to ask I you. Mean, with clients, I tend to use a good old fashioned combination of Google Doc and spreadsheet to literally track over a two week period, the ways in which you're spending your time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can freehand write in what you're doing in the moment, but then going back and categorizing, well, if you're just typing in like checking email, is it client related email activity? Is it a more administrative business activity? So doing some categorizing of your kind of freehand notes on how time is spent. And that can give a good idea of how your time is actually broken down into different categories. So beyond like taking stock, it can be a good reality check as well. Absolutely. Anytime I do time tracking, it is such a reality check. And, you know, right now, just at the time that we're recording, listeners know, or maybe you don't know, I think listeners know, by the time this comes out, you'll know that I'm pregnant with my second kid. (laughs) And so this is exactly what I'm going through right now is figuring out, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that I can leave this business? And how will it stay afloat? Like, do I stop the podcast for six months? What does that look like? And It is so fascinating, this exercise that you're sharing, because there's little things like, oh, I Instagram a couple times a day. And I'm now obsessed with that question of like, how do I automate it? Or who would do this for me? And is it even necessary? Like, is it one of those core business functions? These are such Mm -hmm. great questions. Okay, that was the business side. Yeah. In addition to the core business functions, you also like in that time tracking exercise, you inevitably end up a list with like the nice to haves, (laughs) like things that you spend your time on that if you can figure out a way to keep them going awesome. That ends up being a specific list. We wrap up everything that is on the must-have maternity leave plan needs to be done by week 35. So Mm. they have a little bit of buffer time before a due date. But you know, if baby goes to 40 weeks or 42 weeks, then you have that list to like pick from of the nice to have things that maybe that's when you spend some time thinking about how to automate Instagram. But I wouldn't do that right now. Makes so much sense because that's not the core business activity. Or if it is, I should get really clear on it. You said those are the business side and you had something else, yes? Yeah. So on the personal side, I'm a social worker by training. And before going into private practice, was trained on one of the key tools that social workers use to help folks assess their network of support. It's called an eco map. And to this day, it's something that I've adapted to be specifically around postpartum and thinking about postpartum within the context of maternity leave and planning for really, I should say a maternity leave and successful reintegration back into, (laughs) into business. And you've seen it, but I'm happy to link to it in show notes, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, And it's one of the favorite things that I like to do because you can do it by yourself, but then it lays out a visual map that you can really clearly use to identify gaps in support and also identify who are the really strong support players that you have in your life and what specific asks can you make of them. That's so useful. And I think that drawing something out is such an underrated tool at times. I was just talking to a friend of mine about how she was stuck on a really big project. And she kept saying, oh, it's an easy project. I know how to do a funnel. I know how to build it. I can just, it's this, this, and this. And we ended up breaking it down and saying, well, have you drawn every piece of it? Have you drawn it out, the whole thing? And when you start drawing something, you start to see things in a new way. It's almost like, to her, the aha was, 
oh, this is a much bigger project than I thought it was going to be. Like, this is easy enough, but it's going to take six months. So it's easy and long. What I love about your EcoMap is that you sit out and you draw, like, who are my community members of support and who can I ask for different things? And when you see it on paper, it it's like almost a permission slip to be able to actually call that person when you need help. Yeah. You know, for anyone listening and who ends up downloading it, it's like you end up with homework. You don't just draw it and then put it up on your wall. It's like, okay, then what? But good homework, good homework. You know, and that's so cool. The eco map, the structure of being able to write out like who are all the people that I can reach out to and talk to. Like I remember I had a little list of girlfriends that I had pre-planned for my first pregnancy that I wanted to text if I needed help because I didn't have a brain (laughs) when I was like in those newborn sleepy days. I was like, just text Susanna. Text Susanna. She'll know. Oh, it's really helpful. So what do you think that every pregnant entrepreneur should know about how having a baby and like becoming a parent, that huge thing that's coming, will affect their business? What do they need to know? At the top of the list is knowing that Our experiences are going to be inherently different than working moms who are going back to an organization or a company. We don't have the same structure and challenges are different. Opportunities are different. And so really not comparing, not setting up a maternity leave plan that is based on that reality and those standards of like going on leave for however long, X many weeks, and then jumping back full force you know, 40 hours a week and doing the exact same thing you were doing before you went on leave. Like that is the big reframe that is at the top of my need to know list. Mm-hmm. It's hard because I know that even the fifth trimester period for working moms that are in corporate is so taxing and draining in the first place. So then you're saying for entrepreneurs, don't compare yourself to that because it's not even going to be like that. I'm going to, you know, pivot a little and say there are similarities, like Mm -hmm. the shit is hard for everyone, is (laughs) basically what it comes down to. The struggle points, I think, are also different when it is something that you have built from the ground up and in a lot of ways might feel like a first child. (laughs) Yeah. So what else? You're in the thick of it. (laughs) And you're on number two. But Mm -hmm. One of the like need to know things is I always like to this, I mentioned it earlier, but I always like to think of a due date, not as like 40 weeks. And that is when you are working, working, working till, you know, 37 weeks is technically full term and babies come when babies want to come. So building in a nice buffer, I mentioned that I personally recommend 35 weeks, but you know, thinking about all the contingencies. So taking the time to think through what would it look like if I had a kind of scaled approach into maternity leave, if I started working less hours towards the end of my third trimester? And what would it look like if I had a scale up back into work? So also, and this is one of the opportunity areas that I see self-employed women having, is that you do not have to go from being on like full-time mom duty, new mom learnings and identity development and keeping small human alive mode to back into your business full time that you really can gradually phase in. And that a lot of times that makes it much more manageable, both in the tasks that you set out for yourself and also the mental load and the mental work of 
being able to juggle both of those identities and both of those roles and responsibilities. Hmm. Yeah, you just gave me a little bit of a moment where I was like, I don't know when 35 weeks is. Like, That's not on my calendar. <laughs> and I think I'm in a little bit of like denial. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll figure that out later. But I'm almost halfway in. Like, <laughs> It's not later. That's right now. People listening, right? I'm sure there are so many people who are in the same boat. I love this kind of the scaled tier back. Like, I know that we're not going to have daycare for our second kid until six months after. So there's no way that I could plan to come back after three months and be working full time with a baby around all the time. So just starting to figure out like, what does it look like to gradually get back in and tear it back in? That's such a good point. Do you have more that you want to share? I want to make sure that we cover this all, but you let me know. Well, you hinted at it just now. I mean, you know this, this time around. If it's our first baby and we're not going to an office every day or we're not just surrounded, we don't have the spectrum of motherhood stories at our fingertips, then you might think that you can kind of just go back to work with your baby cooing at your feet or something. (laughs) So talking to women who have been through this before and specifically seeing if you can talk to women who have a similar business model to you, that is also so helpful because it puts on the table some of the realities and can help reframe expectations. A lot of people running businesses are like type A, go-getter, get done type of people. So to have that suddenly not be the reality can be hard to grasp or hard to even imagine when it hasn't happened yet. So for first time moms, talking to moms who have been there around the reintegration back into their business is I think one of the most useful things you can do, just setting up conversations. That's so smart. We're in a mom's group together, but in so many different mom's groups that I've been in, I have seen the same post over and over again, which basically goes something like this. There's someone with a four-month-old or a five-month-old, and they end up writing in, does anybody know how to get work done with a kid at home? (laughs) They're like, I've not figured out, and I don't know how to do it. And there's this like myth out there, and I'm sure there's a few people that can make it work. They have a great sleeper or whatever. But I think that might be one of those like mythical things that you believe before you're around kids or before you become a mother, especially when you're pregnant for the first time. Like, oh, I might be able to get some work done while the baby is sleeping. And maybe just talk to other moms about whether or not that is truthiness. (laughs) It's like test your riskiest assumptions, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Which is hard to do if you don't know that they're assumptions, if you're just like, oh, this is what'll happen. But I found that just... Talking to people, dialogue helps shed light on lots of things. (laughs) Right. And don't ask them at work when they're going to be putting on a a face or like pretending that things are great. Like really say, I need you to tell me the whole truth. Like, what is it that I don't know? Maybe we can have a private conversation because you want the truth. You want to get in there and figure out what's actually true. Okay. This is really helpful. Tell me, are there more? I don't know how many you have on your recommendation list, but I don't want to miss a single one. There's lots more, but I okay. feel like what we what's on the table, it's just helpful to start with something. Good start. Yeah. I love it. We're not the same necessarily as people who work in corporations. And that advice, don't compare your business model to somebody else's business model. They're not going to look the same. And 40 weeks is not like a deadline. It's more like, oh, you know, figure out what 30 weeks is, what 35 weeks is, what you do in the extra time. These are all so good. Okay. 
Well, talk to me about the transition back to work from a like psychological and emotional standpoint, not just from a structural and entrepreneurial standpoint. I mean, <laughs> I'm chuckling because we have both been there. And for anyone who's been there, you might be chuckling because it's like, it's just hard. <laughs> and that learning how to hold both the enthusiasm for your business and genuine love of what you do and also really mourning your capacity is so different than what it was before. That juxtaposition is what I find is really the hallmark, the through line of, of everyone's experience. There's differing degrees of how like easy or hard that transition may be, but there's always that kind of mixed emotion to it. That resonates so strongly because I think one of the challenges I have most about being a parent is I have to find the right balance of setting goals or expectations that feel exciting and ambitious to me, but that are also realistic. And sometimes I feel disappointed in the goals I set. I'm like, well, this might be all that I get done this quarter. Wah, wah. And I remember my ambitious self and how I used to be doing so much more. But then if I set a crazy big goal and I don't hit it, it's also demoralizing. So finding that space of like, what's my current reality and how do I navigate that effectively and deal with the kind of mental hangover, maybe is a good word of like the past self and knowing that I'm a new person. It's really hard. Yeah. And I, again, draw from my toolkit of like, well, what do we know about this transition and how mentally and emotionally taxing it is? And what are the tools that there's evidence about that can help with it. And the ones that I keep on coming back to are really centered around like self-compassion and getting support and identifying the barriers that might exist so that you can consider those barriers, as you said, expectations, as things likely to happen instead of as something that happened to interfere with your plans and is therefore throwing off the timeline of achieving X goal. A lot of this comes more from the psychology of new motherhood work that's out there, but being able to, again, identify people who can support you and really clearly articulating the potential barriers to reaching a particular goal so that you're able to also imagine, well, if that barrier comes up, how might I pivot or how might I revisit my goals? And like a rule of thumb that I always use is like twice as long or half as much. Mm. If I have a goal I'm really excited about, if I'm trying to reach that goal in the like third trimester of pregnancy to a year postpartum, I either assign half as many goals. So if I usually like have three big goals I'm working on, it might just be one, maybe two or twice as long. Something that I previously would have been able to achieve in a quarter, I might just lay it out as a two quarter long <laughs> goal. Mm -hmm. That's so smart. One of the barriers that comes up for me, it's like I spend a lot of my time writing and I know that you're starting to work on a book. And sometimes I cannot string a sentence together. And that's such a barrier to doing good writing. But I know the reason behind it. It's sleep deprivation. And there have been times in this first foray into motherhood where I look at my partner and I just say, the only thing I can do for the next month is get more sleep. Like there's not actually going to be anything productive that comes until I'm better rested. 
got to get over the flu and the cold and the this and get some sleep. And then I'm going to revisit. And I give myself like a month of break and I make my goal just sleeping because without any access to sleep, I'm not making sentences that mean anything to anyone else. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, I have a good friend who's a sleep researcher. and We were having lunch yesterday, actually, and just the cumulative effect of sleep deprivation over years and years. It's if we think of getting sleep now as, again, a good business decision, because it will allow you to come back into your business in a way that allows sustainability in that two years, three years down the road then that's a reframe that we can use to be like, oh, this is something that will pay off instead of you know the voice that might be cropping up in our heads about like, God, I'm such a little weenie that all I can do for myself or my business is like not much until I get eight hours of sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's really tough because it is such a long game. So you don't see things happening as quickly. And especially if you want to have multiple kids and you're thinking about being pregnant for a year and the trying to get pregnant, which may take a lot longer than a year. And then the birthing of a child and then the first year with a child. And then again, on repeat, you have three kids, it could be nine or 10 years of your life. And just thinking about how do I figure out a pace that's sustainable through all of this? Like, how do I find a rhythm where like, I'm not just trying to burn on four cups of coffee a day and adrenaline and staying up all night, because that's not sustainable for 93% of humans or something. There's like some rare humans that can do it, maybe, but I am not going to pretend that I'm in that category. (laughs) Yeah. And like you, I constantly have to remind myself, okay, long, long game, end game. This is like the work that I have to pace myself to eventually get where the direction I'm heading in. (laughs) Right. And then also for people listening, if you're newly pregnant, and this sounds like totally depressing, everything that we're talking about, I also want to add in that there's just like a time of those first 12 months postpartum, especially after the first baby, just takes a while to adjust. But then I see so many people hitting their stride and getting back into it. And that was true for me. So I wonder about you, Ariana, if that's the same. I'd love to turn and talk a little bit more about your personal experience and tell us about your own kid and your own parenting journey. Yeah. So I have a two-year-old. At the time of this recording, we are coming up on a year of a major transition for our family and for my work. So my son and my husband and I lived in Mexico, and that's when my son was born. And I've worked for myself since 2002. So primarily as a contractor for health systems and health organizations, then was trained as a social worker and was back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. during that time. But didn't really think of myself as a business owner until much later. And so we were in Mexico from 2013 to recently when we moved back to the U.S. quite suddenly, actually. And I was kind of hitting the stride in my business and hitting the stride in motherhood. And that totally (laughs) shook my world. I'm really at a year mark of like, a big transition and figuring it out. I would say also that resonates what you just mentioned, the one year postpartum mark as like, feeling like I was getting a hang of things, or at least had a new rhythm that was working. And then something else changed. And I feel like it's almost a second postpartum where I'm now like, okay, (laughs) a year after that transition, I'm 
again, just feeling settled and grounded and had to make some, as you can imagine, some major changes to my work. I had had a pretty even split at that time between consulting for health organizations, primarily as a researcher, and working one-on-one with women. And part of that was in-person work and shifted pretty heavily back to research. And that's what I spend about 85% of my time doing these days. The other 15% of my like business working hours is actually, you know, before we started recording, I just told you I turned all my one-on-one work applications into a wait list so I can write this book. So it's exciting and scary. And what works best for me is I'm a morning person. So I work from kind of seven to three, then do some house related work. And then I'm with my kid from four o'clock on. Mm. You know, something you said just there was, I think, so key, because it wasn't just the baby that shifted things for you. But there are also other big life events, moving and partnerships and all of the pieces that go into these messy lives we live. These tools that you're helping people develop of how to readjust expectations and how to plan ahead for things that are massively changing and deal with things as they're changing, they're not just applicable to the moment of having a baby, but they're also applicable to what if your business makes a big shift? Like if you're going from all client work to research, or what if you have to cut all your hours in half for another reason? I just think that's so interesting because I'm now looking back at everything we've talked about as even more useful across a lot of different situations. Yeah. I mean, I think tools for transitions are things you can pull on for so many different life, work, family transitions, like you mentioned. So what's coming up for you business-wise or personally? What's next on the horizon? I know you've got this advocacy paper you're working on. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) Good memory. Um, (laughs) So Paid Leave US, which is an advocacy organization that works on advocacy for maternity leave issues in the United States. I'm partnering with them to come out with a petition and then a white paper. The white paper is for self-employed women generally. The petition is for California specifically. So it's something that I'm super excited about because in that one-on-one work, I did a lot of like advocating for women to implement a plan that was what they needed. But the larger political advocacy was something I haven't been involved in for quite some years. So I'm dipping my toes back in the water. And in June, for those of you who are California-based listeners, there'll be a petition circulating around really encouraging and making the case based on the scientific evidence we have available and best practices from around the world to push our representatives to have maternity leave coverage include self-employed women. So some of the California kind of disability state policies make it really hard for self-employed women to even understand what they could do to have some maternity leave coverage. So it's a push for putting that at the top of the political agenda and for transparency in how we can deliver those social protections for women who are making contributions to the economy every day, but in a lot of ways, not reaping any benefits when we're in a time of great need when it comes to social support and social protection. Right. And making contributions both socially and economically from building a business and from creating new citizens and humans that are going to be 
tax-paying citizens in the future. It's so mind-boggling, especially in the United States, the kind of policy that we currently have. You and I have had such long conversations about why maternity leave is more than just this like nice to have, but it's actually, in your words, a social justice issue. I would love for the listeners to hear some of your perspective on this, on like why it's a social justice issue and why it's so important. Can you talk to that? Sure. So you're right. That is that is the like horse I ride is the maternity <laughs> leave as a social justice and human rights issue. And it pulls from larger work around health as a human rights issue, which countries that have universal health care and health systems that are standard and publicly accessible come from the human rights perspective that in order to live healthy lives, we all need the conditions, everything from healthcare to living to education, we all need access to the basic things that fuel our health, that allow us to make healthy decisions. When you don't have systems and policies in place that allow that access, where people have to fight for access to those things or navigate really complex systems to gain access to those things, then it inevitably perpetuates disparities and perpetuates a long-term health outcomes that tend to fall <laughs> along you know, the, the trope of the most vulnerable continue to stay on the margins. So when it comes to maternity leave, especially self-employed women, we aren't included in a lot of those conversations and the social protections that in the US are you know, pretty bare to begin with. But even when maternity leave is talked about, it's not often talked about as something that is an entitlement program. That really is what a human rights approach to maternity leave, to equitable access to maternal health would be is an entitlement program something that exists and that you have access to without fighting for it, without having to like languish over figuring out whether you qualify or not, and without having to essentially navigate it on your own. It's something that would be accessible and available and meet our basic needs to be able to thrive as women, as mothers, as business owners, and as, like you said, contributors to our social and financial growth. Mm. Is this something that you are adding into the white paper? And I'm so, I have so many questions about this white paper because I want to link it in the show notes and give it to as many people as possible. I know that you're still working on it right now. So tell me about how that relates to this larger topic of maternity leave as a human rights issue and um, where I can send people to get this white paper. Yeah, we'll be sure to, at the time that the episode goes live, include a link in show notes to the paper itself. It'll be through the Paid Leave US website. And right now, it's it's interesting that you bring up like, how's the language being framed around this? Because since we don't live in a country where we have a human rights framework to help, it's hard to use that argument with politicians. So with politicians, the framing is really about investing in maternity leave and maternal health is linked to early childhood outcomes because we have so much data that looks at kind of the two generation approach to early childhood health outcomes so that by investing what that means is you know so many programs that 
have been rigorously evaluated are able to show evidence that if you invest in mothers, specifically during the perinatal period, pregnancy through postpartum, that the outcomes for children are incredibly dramatically changed during early childhood, but also into their adult life. There's lots of work around two-generation approaches to poverty, to health, to housing issues, to recidivism. So that is really the language and the scientific literature that's being drawn from in both the petition and the white paper to encourage politicians to think about investing in maternity leave as investing in the future generation and childhood health and educational outcomes. Mm, That's so interesting because that's how the Affordable Care Act got some of its push. We had to legislate to really talk about how important it was for prenatal health care to be accessible to everyone because of the outcomes it had on like human well-being, especially of children. And so now that's so interesting, this postnatal period and the taking care of the mother as well, which is something that's so overlooked. And I'll link up the article that you and I, I think, both talked about offline, the NPR article about like mm-hmm. maternal death rates in in this country that are so abysmal. I can link that up as well for people who've never heard of this. And then you can read her white paper will be out by the time this episode airs and we'll have other resources for you as well. So now it sounds like since you're pivoting in your business and you're doing more research and writing, what can I send people to? Or because so many people in my audience are parents and entrepreneurs and women who are pregnant or thinking about becoming pregnant, tell me about what they can find on your website and what tools you have for them and where I should send them to find out more about you. Sure. So I still love sharing that eco map time and time again. It's like everyone finds use from it. So it's one of those things that I've used myself that all my clients use and that lots of just women and colleagues out in the world use. So the best way to find that is still on my website. The short link is bit.ly slash expecting entrepreneur comes with a series of resources around how to make it applicable, how to make the EcoMap applicable to thinking about both your personal needs and your business needs. So that's definitely still relevant. And the other things that we'll put in the show notes, I think, are great places to just stay connected. And if you're interested in the topic, I always just welcome, you know, finding my group of colleagues who also care about this issue. So feel free to reach out on on all the socials. I'm on Instagram most these days, um, which is just my name at Ariana Tabwada. And yeah, I look forward to continuing the conversation. And you have had such a fun Instagram lately, because you're doing all of these awesome introductions posts. I've totally been watching and being like, Ooh, I want to do that. Ooh, I want to do that. So if you follow her on Instagram, it's really fun. (laughs) Thanks. I guess I'll I'll keep my uh, Instagram non-strategy strategy strategy going. (laughs) Awesome. Excellent. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Sarah. This podcast is made possible by sponsors like you. Consider supporting this podcast with a monthly donation on our Patreon page. Head to patreon.com slash startup pregnant. We've got folks who we call our coffee friends who donate the equivalent of a cup of coffee each month to make this show possible. And we're backed by companies we believe in that can help make the lives of busy entrepreneurs and parents a little bit easier. If you want to become one of our company sponsors, head to startuppregnant.com slash podcast and get in touch. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. 
leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.